0: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to CS Studios Podcast. This is your host, Caesar speaking. You know, I want to say that I'm very happy that we were able to successfully complete our first episode uh, for this this uh, new podcast series. And for your listening pleasure, we are now in Spotify, Apple Music, iHeartRadio, and soon um, we'll be uploading videos to YouTube, even though they may not have an actual video attached to them. It'll be just the audio, but at least you'll be able to enjoy it. In whatever type of format or media you enjoy most. For today's podcast, we are going to be traveling back in time just a little bit. Back to 1888 at the east side of London. To perhaps one of the most notorious, most gruesome, and yet still unsolved mysteries of all time. So, let those criminal investigative minds start to twirl a little bit. See if you can guess in the first few minutes of this podcast what this next episode is about. And no cheating. You can go to Google and look it up, what happened in 1888 on the east side of London. All right? So, stick with me, and let's get this podcast started. Victorian London, 1888. During the 19th century... London became an explosive city to live in. Major developments occurred and people naturally started flooding in. New buildings, affluent neighborhoods, major developments all over the place. And obviously, the home for the British monarchy. But like any major city, London also had its darker side. A part of the city where the standard of living wasn't as high-end as more closer to the inner part of town. And as we visit the setting for today's episode, we don't go to these high-end locations. We don't go to the center of the city. We start visiting the Whitechapel area on London's east side. Due to hard economic times, prostitution was one of the most common forms of employment. Many women had to resort to that in order to survive. It was very difficult to live in those times. The divide that we see in today's socioeconomic boundaries, when it comes to the lower class and the middle class and the higher class, are more blurred because you can have a middle class family shop in the same neighborhoods as a wealthier family. But in England in the 1800s, that was a little different. And in the Whitechapel district, that was very prominent. So people had to do what they could to survive. Now, we have to understand that by the late 17th century, Whitechapel, London, was actually a very good and prominent prosperous area, but something started to turn and it started to deteriorate, and by the mid-18th century, it became commonly known as a slum. So now the stage is set for the next series of murders. Nobody had ever seen anything like this, and quite frankly, it would be a while before anybody came anywhere near this level of gruesomeness. Now... These following murders are very, very gruesome. I will give you a fair warning that this next series of murders that are being portrayed in today's episode are a bit on the gruesome side. We will try to be as tasteful as possible, but yet I want to stick to the facts of what the actual events occurred. As you may probably guessed, we're going to talk about Jack the Ripper, one of the most notorious and most mysterious murderers in history. Quick fact Due to the level of uncertainty as far as the description for Jock the Ripper, we only have a variable range of descriptions from eyewitnesses. Of course, because they have never been able to identify him, this is merely speculation. But several witnesses remember seeing, along the time that these bodies were found, a man that fit the description with the other murders. The consensus was that he was about a middle aged man or younger, possibly early 20s. His height was about five five to about five eight slender although some reports do put him as a little stockier but he did have a mustache wore a black cutaway coat dark trousers and he had a cap and he wore a dark black hat as far as the crime that he committed people do speculate that approximately 12 women were murdered although the only five that were attributed to Jack the Ripper have come to be known as the canonical five these canonical five are the ones that we will be discussing today We will not get into any speculation of other murders that were not attributed to Jack the Ripper. We're only going to be sticking to these five canonical murders. August 31 of 1888 marked the first incident that occurred. A woman by the name of Marianne Nichols was seen stumbling through the streets at 2.30 in the morning, highly intoxicated. This was the last time anybody ever saw her alive. Because at 3.45 in the morning, two men were walking along the Bucks Row Street, They thought they saw something that looked like a tarp. They weren't really quite sure what it was until they came close to it. When they took a closer inspection, they noticed that it was a woman that was laying on the floor. After notifying the police and subsequent investigations, it was found that her throat was cut with very deep gashes and her abdomen had been cut multiple times to the point where her intestines were protruding out. The medical doctor who was in charge for autopsy had decided that 30 minutes or so was about the time of death prior to her being found. This obviously shocked the area of London, because nothing has ever been seen before. They attributed it to a madman who might have just gone insane and did this horrendous incident. Little did they knew that they were about to see a string of murders in a very similar yet more gruesome fashion, one more than the next. The second victim was known as Annie Chapman. Her body was found September 8th. In a very similar fashion, she was found very similar to Marianne Nichols. Annie Chapman was also a prostitute separated from her family, she hit the streets at a, at a younger age until she met her untimely death. Her body was found on 29th Hanbury Street, right in front of an apartment building. It was found by one of the residents there named John Davis. He was an older man, and he lived in that building himself. As he was coming out, he saw that the body was there at the bottom of the stairs. I can only imagine what he thought when he first saw that body, but that was definitely something very, very frightening to see. Miss Chapman, just like Miss Nichols, had her throat cut down to her vocal cords that were completely severed. And also, it was noted that the wound was completely removed, the abdomen was completely sliced open, a section of the small intestine was removed and placed over her right shoulder. The autopsy was completed by Dr. George Baxter Phillips. He was a divisional police surgeon who was in charge of completing all the autopsies for that local police department. He said that the killer had to have had anatomical knowledge because of how she was killed. It's almost like he knew what he was doing. Immediately, you start getting vibes of maybe he was a surgeon. And that's actually one of the theories that, that still people have about who possibly might have been Jack the Ripper. Some people say that he was a surgeon or a medical student or someone who worked or who knew a surgeon or a doctor uh, in a personal manner, such as a family member or something, or maybe a co-worker. But it definitely seemed that he had some sort of, some sort of understanding of the human anatomy. A couple weeks later, one of his infamous letters was received. The Dear Boss letter, which is how it became to be known, it was written in red ink. It was about two pages long and it contained several spelling and punctuation errors. But nonetheless, this was definitely attributed to Jack the Ripper himself. The overall motivation of the author was to mock and frustrate the investigating efforts and possibly give clues that there was more to come. The letter read as follows. Dear boss, I keep on hearing the police have caught me, but they don't fix me just yet. I have laughed when they look so clever and talk about being on the right track. That joke about leather apron gave me a real fits. I am down on horrors, and I shan't quit ripping them till I do get buckled. Grand work the last job was. I gave the lady no time to squeal. How can they catch me now? I love my work and want to start again. You will soon hear of me with my funny little games. I have saved some of the proper red stuff in a ginger beer bottle over the last job to write with, but it went thick like glue and I can't use it. Red ink is fit enough, I hope, haha. The next job I do, I shall clip the ladies' ears off and send them to the police officers just for jolly, wouldn't you? Keep this letter back till I do a bit more work, then give it out straight. My knife's so nice and sharp... I want to get to work right away if I get the chance. Good luck. Yours truly, Jack the Ripper. Don't mind me giving me the trade name. P.S. Wasn't good enough to post this before I got all the red ink off my hands. Curse it. No luck yet. They say I'm a doctor now. Ha ha. This baffled police officers because it just described the fact that they may have seen the man, but yet never really knew that was really him. One could easily say he was a very daring individual, be right in front of the police officers and still be nowhere in sight. But as he promised on September 30th, he struck again. Elizabeth Stride 1 a.m. Her body was found on Burner Street at about 1 a.m. by Louis Dameschutz. As he was pulling up with his horse and buggy, he noticed that there was a woman laying on the floor. He thought that she may have been injured, but as he came to investigate, he noticed that her throat was cut. Now when the police saw this, they were kind of baffled because all these other murders that were happening were very gruesome, but this one was a little different. It's almost like he did not have enough time to complete the entire process. They speculate that he was interrupted, thus not being able to finish the murder. At about 1.15 a.m., she was examined, and they concluded that she was only been dead for about 15 minutes prior to that, which means when Mr. Lewis pulled up, he scared away the murderer himself. But this did not seem to satiate our murderer, because that same evening, 45 minutes later, at a mere 10-minute walk from this location, a second victim was found. This became known as a double event. Catherine Kate Eddowes became our fourth victim for Jack the Ripper. Her throat was slit, her uterus was removed, her left kidney was removed completely, her nose and her cheeks were completely removed as well. The investigation showed that after killing her, Jack seemed to walk back towards the first murder area, because that's where he dropped one of the only clues that exists for this case. The clue? A piece of the apron that belonged to Miss Eddowes, and it was found near the apartment entryway. Investigators and and reperologists believe that this proves that he indeed lived in the east side of London. I mean, why else would a murderer start heading back towards the direction of the first incident, when it was swarming with police officers, shortly after he had committed a second murder in the same evening? That is completely, completely insane. Then again, we are dealing with someone who is not in their right mind. On October 1st, 1888, The next postcard that was sent was received by investigators. This postcard read as follows I was not caughting, dear old boss, when I gave you the tip. You'll hear about Saucy Jack's work tomorrow. Double event this time. Murder one squealed a bit, but couldn't finish straight off. Had not time to get ears off for police. Thanks for keeping the last letter back until I get to work again. Jack the Ripper. Now, many people speculate that this was possibly a hoax, that this was created by someone just to prank the police. Although, it's also been completely debunked because of the fact that this was prior to anybody releasing any headlines on the newspapers. The case was still under investigation and nobody had known about this murder, let alone the double event, or by the way that any of these women were killed. So, that alone proved that this letter was indeed Jack the Ripper. Immediately the outrage began. How could this be happening in such a big city as London? People began to be very afraid because they didn't know, was it safe to go out? Was it safe to be out late at night? So on October 13th, the police began to search the slum and they searched and searched and searched everywhere to see if they can come up with any clue on who this man was. They searched the East Dunworth slums and all over the area. On October 18, George Lusk got a letter. Now, George Lusk was the head of the Mile End Vigilance Committee. This committee was made up of businessmen that were able to assist police. A neighborhood watch, if you will. When he received this letter, he noticed that it was addressed as from hell. The letter also came accompanied with a box. Upon opening the box, there was a human kidney, or at least half of one. Now, the letter read as follows. From Hell, Mr. Lusk, sir, I send you half a kidney I took from one woman, preserved it for you, tother piece. I fried and ate it, was very nice. I may send you the bloody knife that took it out if you only wait a while longer. Signed, catch me if you can, Mr. Lusk. Now, after further investigation, this was concluded that it was indeed a prank and not directly from Jack the Ripper. Investigators claim that this may have come from a local medical student. The reason why was because the handwriting from Dear Boss and the Saucy Jackie letters were marked similarly, but the handwriting from Hell were completely different. It's almost like if it was intentionally made to look like it, but not quite. Now, this may also mark a more disturbing turn that was starting to take place. Because to be able to pull a prank like this just kind of requires a level of mindset that that says that you can make fun of anything regardless of the situation. And that's kind of scary because this is one of the darkest moments of this area's history and yet people are making fun of it. They're taking it lighthearted enough to create a prank. Now, in Eastside London, the story was not over. On November 9th, 1888, the last murder occurred. At least the last murder that was associated with Jack the Ripper. This was by far the worst and most gruesome murder of them all. Mary Jane Kelly was found on 13 Miller's Court. It's an apartment that she lived in. Small room. She was found when the landlord's assistant was doing her rounds to collect her rent money. When she reached 13 Miller's Court, the apartment for Mary Jane Kelly... She noticed that after knocking multiple times and no answer, through the window she was able to see the most horrifying sight that she has ever seen. She was quoted saying, The sight that we saw, I cannot drive away from my mind. It looked more like the work of a devil than a man. Now, I will tread lightly, but bear with me for this one. Mary Jane Kelly had been killed by first slashing the throat. In this instant it was so deep and so gruesome that it actually cut down to the spine. Her face had been completely hacked beyond all recognition. Her nose, ears, cheeks, and eyebrows were partly removed. Her abdomen was completely emptied of all the organs. Her breast, kidneys, uterus were completely removed. Her heart was missing, and from the thighs, it seems like this sick person ended up skinning her as much as possible. There was blood everywhere. What was truly out of character was the location. Till now, every other victim had been found out in the open, out in the middle of the street or in an alley somewhere, or coming into the dark corner areas at night that would lead up to an apartment building. Because of the hidden nature of this location, where it was more private, he was able to take his time. It was estimated that approximately a couple of hours had been left for him to do whatever he wanted to do. So he took his time. And this indeed became the most gruesome and most horrifying murder that London has seen. Now, who was Jack the Ripper is one of the biggest questions that till this day, investigators cannot answer. Now, speculations aside, I do only want to talk about one individual that may have probably the best possibility of being the killer himself. And this individual goes by the name of Aaron Kudminski. Aaron Kuzminski was a 23-year-old barber from Poland and according to some of the DNA evidence that was covered in modern days, it suggests that he was in fact Jack the Ripper. The evidence was recovered from the shawl that was found in the body of Catherine Eddowes and that contained forensic stains that were used to identify the killer. Now, who was Aaron Kuzminski? He was a Jewish immigrant with a long history of crimes. But this is the first time and the first piece of forensic evidence that gives any sort of clear proof as to the killer's identity. A study was published by the Journal of Forensic Sciences that used the DNA of a living relative of Kuzminski, and it was able to be traced to that DNA sample that was recovered from Catherine Eddowes Shaw. Now, towards the end of his life, he was actually put in an asylum following the alleged murders, and he died pretty young. With that said, A lot of people still believe that this does not prove 100% that this was in fact Jack the Ripper. To many people, Jack the Ripper will never be named. And in a way, it's kind of better that way because he was such a horrifying figure that to give him any sort of prominence is just not right. Now one can ask, what was going on through this man's head? What was he thinking? And just by the way he behaved, the letters that he wrote, and how he was trying to instigate the situation kind of proves that he enjoyed this a little too much. He was really into this type of activity. You see back then there was really no profile for the criminal mind. Nowadays we've got criminologists and we've got psychologists and all these other people who specialize in serial killers and they know and they're able to study the behavioral aspects of these and they're able to conclude that a serial killer is doesn't just happen from one day to another jack the ripper did not just pop out of nowhere and begin to kill out of just all willy-nilly he started at a young age it's been proven nowadays with all the technology and studies that we have that a criminal mind begins at a younger age it could begin because of trauma because of a bad situation growing up and it could just evolve but generally a serial killer will display some sort of a criminal mind and a desire to cause pain that's much elevated than what it should be for that young man's age. All of these killers, and a lot of them that we will be talking about in this podcast, at a very young age, they start to show these symptoms of cruelty. Now, I don't want to spoil it for the upcoming episode, so we will leave it at that for today. But I really want to thank you guys once again for joining me to the end of this podcast. And I want to be able to thank everyone who listened for the first episode. And thank you once again for for your support. Thank you for your time, which is very valuable. Thank you for everything. Thank you for the attention that you have placed in my hands. So I want to make these podcasts to be about 30 minutes long. I know your time is very valuable. So the way that I'm trying to structure these is I want to release them on a weekly basis, if possible, uh, and usually will be released on Monday morning. So that way you guys can have it for your weekly commute as you head to work. And you can enjoy the next uh, the next episode for the week from CS Studios podcast. So once again, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you for your time, and thank you for choosing me from all the other podcasts you could be listening to. Thank you for taking time to listen to me. This has been your host Caesar, reminding you to lock your doors and check your back seats. Have a good one.